Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, lots of things going on. I want to make you aware that we will be having a seminar and a special guest speaker on May 6th through 7th, and so plan on being here for that. Invite your friends, your neighbors. I think it's a very relevant topic. Uh, Dr. Jer Jeremy Beller from Oklahoma Christian will be here to speak about living as a Christian in a polarized world and how we do that. Well, we're beginning a new series today. You'll notice the title of the series is Joy to the World? Question mark. And the reason for that is we want to explore this subject of joy that we find throughout Scripture, but we also want to think about how we live our lives as Christians. And is this something that the world sees in us? Are we joyful people as we're supposed to be? You know, recently, Russell Moore, who is the editor of Christianity Today, he was approached by a college student. And this college student was wrestling with a theological crisis. And so Russell Moore, being a, a well-known and well-educated Christian teacher, was used to these types of questions and dilemmas. And typically they involve questions concerning maybe the resurrection of Jesus, the, the virgin birth, or, or something like that. And so what, what typically happens is that a, a student will go off to college, they will learn new things, and then they begin to try to make sense of how their faith fits in with the new ideas that they're, they're learning. And this is quite common. However, the crisis of faith that Russell Moore was asked about that day was something different. This young college student wanted to know why her atheist and agnostic friends were often kinder, more peaceful, and more joyful than her Christian friends. She wanted to know why her unbelieving friends were displaying more fruit of the Spirit than her Christian friends. And Russell Moore described this not as a crisis of the virgin birth, but as a crisis of new birth. Has new birth taken root in us? Are we living out what it is that we profess? And situations like these are not unique. What we are seeing from young people is they have no problem believing in the resurrection, the virgin birth, or anything else that's related to the miraculous or anything dealing with uh, something spiritual in nature. Their issue is not with things that cannot be explained scientifically. Their issue is with Christians who do not practice what they profess. And so young people are not leaving the church because uh, the, the church's beliefs are unbelievable. Young people are leaving churches because some Christians do not take the church's beliefs seriously enough. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore the subject of joy. And again, joy is, is central to the Christian faith. It's mentioned numerous times throughout Scripture. Followers of Jesus are to be joyful people. We are commanded to be joyful. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord, what, sometimes? No, rejoice in the Lord 
always, again, I will say, rejoice. And then we see that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so right between love and peace, you have joy. And these are just a couple of the verses that that speak of joy um, that, that we are to have as Christians, but there are many more. We're supposed to possess a joy that does not make sense to the outside world. The church itself is to be a joyful community. And so you can see how it can be problematic if this is what we profess, but then we do not live it. You can see how someone might have questions if they are promised a joyful community and joyful people, but then there are none to be found. If we as Christians lack joy in our life, this is a spiritual problem for us. There's some kind of disconnect going on. We're we're not experiencing the abundant life that we have in Christ. We are not participating in the blessings that come from God. Something is wrong spiritually if you find a Christian that is lacking in joy. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. It's also a believability problem for our neighbors and the people around us because they are not seeing the joy of Christ that is supposed to be in us. And so if we are pessimistic and we focus on uh, what's wrong all the time, the the non-Christians are not going to believe us when we tell them that we have some good news to share with them. It just doesn't add up. If our message does not match our outlook, then we have a believability problem. It's also a credibility problem for our children and grandchildren because we're not living out what we profess. If our young people come to Bible class and they come to worship and they read about the joy that we are supposed to have as Christians and they believe it, they take Scripture seriously, but then they never see it lived out in the lives of people around them, they're going to start to ask questions. And they may even look uh, for, for, begin to look for another church or another group that uh, really looks like what they're reading about in Scripture. And so when our lives don't resemble what we read about in the Bible, we have a credibility problem. We don't have to be perfect. No one's saying that, but we have to be on the path. And so when we talk about joy, we're actually talking about more than joy. We're talking about our own spiritual health and our relationship with God. Because a lack of joy reveals that something is amiss in our lives spiritually. We're also talking about our witness to the world. Are we truly being a light to the people around us, or are we conveying another message to them? And we're also talking about the future of the church. Are we doing enough to to pass on the faith to the next generation? And all of these subjects and more are connected to joy. And so as we begin, we want to think about what is joy? 
and a lot of people are just not sure. We probably have some concept of what it is, but then we may struggle to, to put that into words. It's not the same thing as being happy. Happiness is something that comes and goes. We can experience joy in the midst of suffering. We can be like the, the women at the tomb that we studied last week who were afraid, but at the same time, they were filled with great joy. And so things like suffering and, and fear don't always rob us of joy. It's possible to be in a situation that is unpleasant and still have joy. So what is it? Well, I like this uh, definition from Daniel Dink in his book, An Invitation to Joy. He says, Joy is a steady disposition about life, very much connected to peace and hope. We might say that joy is a hopeful and peaceful outlook on life, a deep-seated sense of well-being. Joy is a disposition about life. Is life good or is it not? Is life getting better or is it not? And be careful how you answer that. Before you answer that, remember that we are a people who believe in the resurrection. That we are a people who believe that Jesus is coming again. That, that we are a people who believe that God is going to right all wrongs. And so, is life getting better or is it not? If you're a Christian, there's only one way to answer this question, and that is with a resounding yes. Because we are good news people. We are resurrection people. We are people who have been redeemed and set free from the bondage of sin and death. And if we don't believe that life is getting better, then we don't believe in Scripture. We don't believe in the God who raised Jesus from the grave. Because scripture is good news. It is a story with a happy ending. People tell two types of stories. We tell stories with sad endings. And we tell stories with happy endings. Now throughout most of history, these were identified as comedies and tragedies. A comedy was any story with a happy ending. I know that in modern times we've changed the meaning of comedy and now it means something else, but throughout most of the history that's how it was defined. And prior to the resurrection, prior to the life of Jesus, guess what the most popular type of story was, the one that was told most often? It was tragedies. People overwhelmingly told stories with a sad or a tragic ending. Why? Well, because they did not have any hope. Life was bad, life was tragic, and so they went around, they told tragic stories. But what's amazing is you can study the history of story and you see that things begin to change after the resurrection, after the life of Jesus. The most popular types of stories for people to tell switched from tragedies to comedies. And that is an amazing thing. 
why would people begin to tell different stories? It's because of the story of Jesus. The Bible is a comedy in the classic sense of the word. It is a story with a happy ending. And Christians embrace this so much that the culture in which they lived began to tell different stories. What a powerful witness to the world. And so let me ask you a question. What kinds of stories are we telling? What kinds of stories are you telling your coworkers? What kinds of stories are you telling your friends and neighbors? What kind of stories are you telling your family? Are they stories about how bad life is? Are they stories about what's wrong with the world? Or are they gospel stories? Are they good news? Are they stories with a happy ending? Because the stories that we tell one another, the things that we speak about, they matter. They really do. And so Daniel Dink here says that joy is tied to hope. And I believe he's correct. It is a disposition about life. Do we have a joyful outlook on life? Do we have a hopeful outlook on life? Or is our outlook dismal or tragic? Now think about these words from 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter writes these words to a group of Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. They were suffering. They had reason to fear, but Peter tells them to have no fear. They had reason to be troubled, but Peter tells them not to be troubled. Instead, they were to be ready to give people an answer for why they were so hopeful in the midst of suffering and persecution. These Christians that Peter is writing to, they had a hopeful outlook on life. They had a joyful outlook on life. And the suffering and the persecution that they were having to endure was not going to take their hope and their joy away. They were good news people whose outlook had been changed by the resurrection of Jesus. The letter to the Philippians is known as the epistle of joy because Paul mentions it so much. He mentions this word joy throughout the entire letter. The first time it's mentioned is in chapter 1 and verse 4. So at the very opening of the letter, I thank my God for every remembrance of you always in every one of my prayers for all of you praying 
with joy. Now what is even more astounding is that Paul writes this letter from prison. And so just think about his circumstances. He was in prison in a foreign country. He was living under a pagan government who had crucified his Lord and was now persecuting his fellow believers. He belonged to an illegal religion that had no rights at all. Christianity was growing, but it was still quite small, and therefore it had no power, it had no uh, standing in society. It was viewed as a nuisance, something that needs to be stamped out and gotten rid of. That, those were Paul's circumstances. Now imagine if Paul had a different outlook on life. What might his letter to the Philippians sound like? Dear Philippians, I write this to you from prison. The conditions are terrible and I barely have enough to eat. I will likely die in here and there's not much hope for the future. Rome is powerful and strong and they will treat me as they did Jesus. I don't see our movement going anywhere, so you might as well quit meeting. Get ready to fight, because Rome could be coming for you next. Sincerely, Paul. If Paul had a different outlook, he might have wrote something like this. And guess what? A letter like this would have made more sense than Philippians. Why is someone so full of joy while they're in prison? It just doesn't add up. Unless the resurrection is true. And so what about us? What kind of letters are we sending to the world? What message are our friends our neighbors, our co-workers receiving from us? Is it something like this? I can't believe how bad it is. Things are not looking good. The world is a terrible place. Or is it like the letter of Philippians that we have in our Bibles? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we talk about joy, I believe that most of us want more of it. We want to be joyful people. We want to be a joyful community. This is our desire. But if we're honest, sometimes we struggle a little bit. And we don't always know how to cultivate joy in our lives. And sometimes we give ourselves over to things that rob us of our joy. Things like fear and things like worry. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this more. So hopefully, 
we can all walk away from this series with more joy. Until then, spend some time thinking about this definition of joy that we're given by Daniel Dink. Joy is a steady disposition about life. Very much connected to peace and hope. We might say that joy is a hopeful and peaceful outlook on life, a deep-seated sense of well-being. And so, before you come back next week, consider your disposition about life. What is it? Is it one of joy? Is it one of hope? Or is it something else? Think about how joy is connected to both peace and hope. Are you a hopeful person? Are you at peace in your life? And these are not just new age ideas. These are dispositions and ways of life that are directly connected to Jesus and his resurrection. We have joy, hope, and peace because we serve a risen Savior. We have joy, hope, and peace because he lives. And so how can we be joyful in the midst of suffering? How can Paul write a letter like Philippians? There's only one answer. And it's that Jesus is alive today. And either you believe that or you don't. And if you do, it should change everything. It should change your disposition. It should change your outlook. And it can be the source of joy, hope, and peace in your life today and for all eternity. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning and we worship you and we praise you and we thank you that we serve a risen Savior. I pray that we would meditate on the resurrection of Jesus and how that this is not just some idea, it's not just an old story that happened long ago, but how this is something that still means something in our lives today. And it changes us and it transforms us and it gives us a different way of looking at this world. Father, help us to be a joyful people. Help us to be a joyful community. We pray that others would see a joy in us that does not make sense to them. And that they would ask us about the hope and joy that is in us. May we be a light to this community and all those around us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.